0: Amen. That was uh, a mother, two daughters, and a granddaughter. So they were all related. (laughs) Did you notice the little one kept wanting to look back and see herself on the screen? It's like, is that me up there? All right. Oh, guess what I'm going to talk about tonight? I am, but I'm going to continue the series on the God who... And we've been uh, on this for a few weeks now, the God who is or does various things. And I want to talk to you this time about the God who chose a wise mother, which may sound like a kind of a strange statement, because how could God choose a mother? But God gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't have an earthly father, but he had an earthly mother. And God chose a wise teenage Jewish girl to be Jesus' mother. And I want to just jump into a little story that had to do with Jesus and Mary in John 2, 1 through 5. The God who chose a wise mother. Let's read it. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? I'm going to explain why that sounds so mean in just a minute. (laughs) My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I pray that the wisdom of Mary... That you gave her would become part of the wisdom of our life and thank you for speaking to us out of this story tonight in Jesus name amen amen turn your neighbor and tell them this is gonna be good perk up and listen you're gonna need it before you get home now uh, by the way just talking about this I was at a wedding last night and it's occurring to me that I'm marrying off this whole family Many of you know Lucy Hinkle. I married her son off about a year ago, and then her daughter off last night, and then they let me know, you know, Pastor Jeff, when we first knew you, we were just this high. And so let me tell you what's starting to happen to me. I'm starting to marry people who I dedicated as children, as babies. It's, it's, I guess that's the way it's supposed to be. There was a beautiful wedding in a beautiful place, and God was really there. Now, today is Mother's Day, so we're going to take a look at the most famous mother of all time, no doubt about it, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And as we continue in this series, The God Who, I want to focus on how God can select the people that He needs for a certain purpose. God picks people. He picked you. He chose you. And I'm going to keep it real tonight. I'm not going to hold up some unrealistic expectation from mothers uh, that a mother could, could never reach. And I want to also say that I really am very aware that some of you probably don't even want to be in church on Mother's Day. No doubt this weekend we'll have some ladies who are normally here who won't be here because, well, their mother is no longer alive. And it hurts to come to a function that reminds them of that. Or there are some who are at odds with their mother. There's a broken relationship. And they don't want to uh, listen to the syrupy kind of sentiments, uh, Hallmark card kind of sentiments about mom. And some of you may right now have a mother who is very sick. I'm aware of a couple in our congregation whose mothers are soon to go home. And it's difficult to come and focus on that and be forced to think even more about that. And there's likely a handful of you who have experienced the devastating loss of a child and this really reminds you of that and and I get it to a point I can't fully understand but I understand why this would be difficult for you and then there's always the precious women who would love to have a child and for some reason can't and this day stings but you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna share some principles that transcend these things and are broad enough to be a blessing to everybody, not just moms, who are not in a position to enjoy today. Now, the fact is this. I've never been a mother, but I've lived with one. And motherhood is not glamorous, nor is it easy. Every mother say amen. Amen. It wasn't easy for Mary, and it's not easy for any other mom. One mother said, the joy of motherhood is what a woman experiences when all the kids are finally in bed. A mother talking to an old college friend said, before I was married, I had three theories about raising children. Now I have three children and no theories. I get that too. Another woman who had three children was asked, if you had it to do all over again, would you have children? She said, yes, but not the same ones. Things don't always go the way moms hope. I want you to think about this. The very first mom, Eve, watched her first child become a murderer and a fugitive. Think about that. Moses' mother had to give him up for adoption. Samuel's mother released him as a mere child to serve in the temple of God, and she only got to see him once a year afterward. He grew up without her. Motherhood for these women and many more in the Bible, was not a happy skip down the yellow brick road. Uh, and it's not for moms today. It's a tough assignment. No doubt about it. It's the toughest assignment you'll ever receive as, as a woman is to be a mother, filled with ups and downs, triumphant successes, and bitter disappointments. And that's the mix of motherhood. And, you know, mothers are, are interesting not only do they seem to be at times superhuman, but have you ever noticed they manage to speak the same language? Somehow they all learn the same language without talking to each other. For instance, you've probably heard, don't be smart with me. And the kid's thinking, I thought you wanted me to be smart. Or how about this one? You will have fun today. Do you understand me? And mothers are also great teachers. Mothers teach us about foresight. Foresight. For instance, make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. (laughs) Mothers teach us about logic. If you break your leg, don't come running to me. Logic. Mothers teach us about maturity. Eat your vegetables or you will never grow up. Mothers teach us about religion. You better pray that comes out of the carpet. That's how we all, a lot of kids learn how to pray. Oh, God, please. (laughs) Mothers teach us about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. (laughs) Mothers teach us about contradictions. Shut your mouth and eat your dinner. You get it? Some of you are going to get some of these on the way home. (laughs) Mothers teach us about contortionism. Will you look at the dirt on the back of your neck? <laughs> Mothers teach us about perseverance. You're going to sit here if it takes all week till you eat that broccoli. Mothers teach us about genetics. You have heard this one. You are just like your father. Mothers teach us about the weather. It looks like a tornado swept through your room. Mothers teach us about the circle of life. I brought you into this world, buddy, and I can take you out. Amen, moms? Now, I want to take a, an event, this event that we read about out of the life of Mary and Jesus, and I want to talk about the, the wisdom that Mary had. Very simple message tonight. Jesus began his public ministry as a 30-year-old man. And the very first place he manifested his miraculous powers was at a wedding in a town called Cana. Very first time he manifested his powers when he began his ministry. Now, you should know that in Eastern cultures, weddings were like social events, where family, friends, distant relatives, extended families, and neighbors were all invited. And these wedding celebrations lasted two, three, even seven days, I mean, our wedding last night was done in two hours. But these people really partied on in weddings. Now, the Bible says that this wedding that Jesus went to and that his mother was at, uh, a problem arose. There was a problem. At the height of the wedding celebration, the wine ran out. Now, for the wine or the food to run out at an Eastern first century wedding Was a public disgrace. This is a fact. This is why it was a big deal. When food or wine ran out, it was a public disgrace. It brought shame and embarrassment to the families. And believe it or not, in some Eastern cultures, get this, legal action could be taken against the concerned families should this happen at a wedding. That's just the way that it was. So when we read that the wine ran out, we need to understand that this was a big deal. It was a big deal. It was real pressure, particularly for the wedding host, which is called the master of the feast in the Bible, but who we would call the wedding planner. I worked with a wedding planner last night, and they've got it down. This was the wedding planner. And for, for something like this to happen at a first century wedding was huge pressure and embarrassment for the wedding planner, the master of the feast. So at this point, the host, or the wedding planner, was really dismayed. And Jesus' mother, Mary, saw this. She realized what was going on. And so she approaches Jesus about the dilemma. She said, Jesus, we've got a real problem. And, and the Bible says, she said to him, they have no more wine. They're out, son. They've got a terrible lack. They've got a crying need. We've got a real problem here, Jesus. Now Jesus replied in a way that seems harsh. I used to really wonder about this verse and wonder why he talked this way. He says, woman, woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. Now Jesus' use of the term woman sounds like he's reproving her rebuking her or jumping on her or kind of saying, hey, you know, this isn't my problem, so go away as if she was interfering in something that didn't really concern her or him. But there was no such reproof or disrespect intended by the use of the term woman instead of mother. Uh, it's the same term, if you look at the Bible, by which Jesus very tenderly addressed Mary after he had risen from the dead. She'd gone to the tomb. He wasn't there. And she starts weeping. And she sees him and thinks he's the gardener. And he says to her, woman... Why are you crying? Now, he could have said Mary, but he said woman. And he used the same term again with his mother when he was hanging on the cross. I want you to think about this. He's hanging on the cross. There's his mother. She is seeing what Simeon had so many years before predicted that a sword would pierce her own soul as Jesus grew and paid the ultimate price for our sin. He's hanging on the cross beaten beyond recognition. There she is. Jesus looks down and it says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, talking about John, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So it was not a term of disrespect. It was actually a term of respect. And he used it more than once in the Bible. So woman, what is this is not my time yet why are you coming to me with this problem now after jesus had responded this way to mary she provided the answer to the problem now folks life is full of problems problems pop up all the time here was this great wedding going along everybody's happy joyful celebratory everybody's having a great time this couple's getting married jesus is at the wedding and all of a sudden there was a problem a problem came out of nowhere. It surfaced and it became suddenly a very big deal. And she provided the answer we all need to hear whenever there's a problem in our life. And I love this answer. The answer she gave was the best advice a mother could ever give to any child or anybody could ever give to anybody. It is power packed, full of wisdom. Here here it was. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. I want us to say that together, can we? Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. How simple is that? But how profound. In a a time of lack, obey him. In a time of need, seek him. In a time of crisis, turn to him. When there is a lack, a need, a problem, a crisis, a, a, a something that must be resolved, she said, whatever he says to you, that's what you do. Now, I've thought and thought about those simple seven words. It is seven, isn't it? Whatever he says to you, do it. Just seven words. All right. And, and many things have occurred to me I've never thought about. Her advice immediately presupposes that the person with the problem is going to go to him with it. Because how is he telling you what to do if you haven't first gone to him? So her advice presupposes the simple, basic wisdom that when there's a problem, you go to him. She didn't say go to the master of the feast. She didn't say go to the wedding planner. She didn't say ask one of the disciples. And she didn't say figure it out for yourself. She said... Whatever he says to you, do it, which assumes the problem has first been taken to the Lord. That old song, oh, how, how, how often we miss the peace of God. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. All because we don't carry everything to God in prayer, My experience is we try everything, and then finally as a default option, we go to him last. When in fact we ought to go to him first and save ourselves all the time in trouble. When there's a problem, you go to him. When there is a need, you go to him. When there's a lack, you go to him. When you don't know what to do, you go to him. She said, whatever he says to you, that's what I want you to do. I advise you to do that. And her statement also presupposes that Jesus would even care about the problem. Watch do you stop and think about this. It wasn't his wedding, he was just an invited guest. Yet Mary believed that Jesus would care enough to do something about it. So she says, you need to go to him and, and, and realize that though it may seem insignificant to you, if it matters to you, it matters to him. Church, I want to tell you, if it matters to you, it matters to Jesus right now, I have lost my iPhone. It's somewhere in this world. I lost it today. But you know what I know? Jesus is going to show me where it is. I'm going to find it. You know what I know? He cares that I've lost my iPhone. He say, come on, Pastor Jeff, he's running the universe. Let me tell you, if it matters to me, it matters to him. If it matters to you, it matters to him. What did it matter to Jesus that they had run out of wine at a wedding that he was only an invited guest. It mattered because it mattered to them and they came to him about it. Church, I want you to know Jesus cares and Mary believed that Jesus would care enough to do something about it. And the fact that he did do something about it, that he went so far as to perform the first miracle of his ministry at this wedding shows that Jesus cares about the things that matter to us no matter how insignificant they may seem, He cares about the least and about the greatest, anything that pertains to you and me. And let me tell you why. Because He desperately, crazily, profoundly loves you. He cares. And I gotta tell you, I can't get away from it. For me, it's very significant that Jesus performed His first miracle at a wedding. A wedding between a man and a woman. There is no doubt that Jesus blessed this wedding between a man and a woman because he has sanctioned marriage. Moses said, for this reason a man shall leave. This is what I preached on last night in the wedding. I took a whole different tact with the wedding last night than I ever have. And I just read the verse for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Why do a man and woman come together? Because they meet, a friendship develops, a romance develops and one day they both wake up and say I can't live without you and I can't live without you. And so they decide to get married. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. That's what it said. Now, Genesis said that. Moses was the first to write that. And then Jesus repeated it, affirming what Moses said. And so God's model for marriage is a man and a woman coming together in holy matrimony one man, one woman, for life. That's it. That's the way God intended it to be. And no matter how hard you try to make it something else, you can't make it something else. That's what it is. And so Jesus decided to perform his first miracle at a wedding. That says something to me. He says, I'm for marriage So, Mary advised that we go to Him with our problems, that He cares about our problems. And then, third, she said, and this is really the crux of it whatever He says to you, be sure that you do it. Whatever He says to you, because He's going to tell you something, I want you to do it. Mary believed that if they took their problem of lack and their problem of need, that Jesus would speak to the problem, He would give a directive. He would offer a solution. He wouldn't say, well, you know, that's really not my issue, not my problem, and go go work it out yourself. No, no. Mary fully anticipated if they went to Jesus, Jesus would say something, and they must be certain that they did it. She expected him to speak to the problem. Let me ask you a question tonight. When you go to him with a problem, do you expect him to speak to it? Do you expect him to have anything to say about it? Do you expect him to intervene and interpose himself into your problem? Do you have the anticipation and the faith and the expectation of Mary? Because she said, if you go to him and you tell him the problem, he's going to say something to you. And whatever he says to you, that's what you do. Our Lord is a Savior with solutions to our deepest problems. There's not a problem you face that there is not wisdom in Jesus to fix it. I'm gonna say that again, there's not a problem you're facing, not a mountain you're climbing, not a valley you're passing through, that Jesus does not have a word to say to you. And this is where Christianity is different from any other world religion Because the other world religions have key figures that don't talk, that don't counsel, that don't advise, that don't guide, that don't lead. But Isaiah, describing the coming Messiah, said, You will call his name Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What does a Counselor do? He counsels. He dispenses advice. He dispenses wisdom. Proverbs 2 verse 6 says, the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Let me say this again. Your Savior, your Lord, your Messiah, your Christ, your Jesus gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. When do they proceed from his mouth? When you go to him with a problem and you say, Lord, here it is. here's, Here's what I'm up against. It's a dilemma it's a mystery, it's a vexation, it's a need, it's a lack, it's a, it's a perplexity. I don't know what to do, where to go, what to do, or, or, or where to turn. What do you say? And the Lord gives wisdom, and out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. James said, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. And he will give it to you. i got to read that again because that's good news. <laughs> you say, well, I'm not very smart, Pastor Jeff. I'm not educated. And I, and I really haven't been a Christian very long. doesn't matter. This isn't about you. It's about him. It's telling us what he will do to the least of these, his brethren. If you need wisdom, and wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge and gain a solution. If you need wisdom... You go to our generous God and He will give it to you. He will speak and He will not rebuke you for asking. What are you doing coming to me, bugging me when I'm flinging more stars into space or when I'm answering Billy Graham's prayers and doing big things in the world? Don't bother me with your little stuff. No, 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 no. He says, He will not rebuke you for asking Him what to do. I've already said, Lord, where is my iPhone? Now, I know he knows where it is. And he's going to lead me to it. And he has led me to lost keys. I'm one of these people, if I didn't have my head screwed on, I'd be saying, Lord, where is my head? Where did I leave it? And, And, you know, he helps me. And he cares about the little, and he cares about the great. He cares about the seemingly insignificant, and he cares about the profound. Jesus told the servants here's what you do they went to him they said hey we're out of wine and and your mother gave us the expectation that you would have an answer he said here's what you do see those six large water pots over there they carry 20 to 30 gallons apiece i want you to go fill them with water now wait a minute jesus i don't think you heard us we're out of wine we don't need water we're out of wine But he he didn't say, go do what I tell you to do only if you understand it. He said, go fill six water pots, 20 to 30 gallons each with water. It made no sense in the natural scheme of things, but they did it. They did it as Mary had said, whatever he says to you, do it. And if they had only listened and not done it, there would have been no miracle. Now, folks, this is what I want us to get tonight as believers in Jesus Christ and committed Christians. And I hope everybody in here is, and if you're not, you can be tonight easily by simply surrendering. But here's the deal. To receive a word from God is meaningless and useless unless you do what He says. You must do. You know what I've noticed about Jesus? He always required an action of faith prior to a miracle. He always required an action response prior to doing a miracle. Man came up to him with a withered hand. His hand was withered, useless. He couldn't pick anything up. It was useless to him. It was a withered, wilted, atrophied hand. And... and He he wanted healing. And Jesus said, stretch it out. Well, there were people watching. There was a crowd watching. And I'm sure this man thought, why should I stretch out this embarrassing, hopeless, withered hand? Why can't you just heal it? Because he always requires an action of faith response to what he says do. And so the man, the man did this. And between here and here it straightened out and healed and was totally whole. And, and, and the miracle happened in the doing of the word of God. I, I got to think of feeding the multitude. He's looking at 5,000 plus women and children, 5,000, a huge crowd. And he says, how are we going to feed all these people? And, they, and he said, what do we have? Well, Lord, all we've got is five loaves and two fishes. And he said, give them to me. Now, if they had not given him the five loaves and two fishes, there would have been no feeding of the multitude. Do you get it? That little boy gave up his sack lunch. that His mama made him. When he said, I'm going to go hear Jesus, she said, well, take this sack lunch, five loaves and two fishes, and he took it, and Jesus said, I need something. I need something. I'm requiring an action of faith. Give me what you have. He took it. He blessed it. He broke it, and he gave it, and suddenly five loaves and two fishes became an endless supply of bread and fish for this massive crowd and there were 12 baskets left over, one for every one of the 12 disciples. When did it happen? If they had stood there and said, we have nothing but a sack lunch and we're not going to give that to you because you need more than... Nothing would have happened. God's power and grace were released when they did what He said. Raising Lazarus, there he is, four days in the tomb. He has already experienced rigor mortis. He has already been embalmed. He's down there in the bottom of that tomb. And Jesus walked up the tomb and he required a step of faith. He, re- re- he required an action. He said, roll away the stone. There was resistance. Mary said, if we roll away that stone, there's going to be a terrible odor because he's four days dead. Jesus said, you don't understand. Faith Activates God's power when it acts. James said faith without an action is dead faith. Whatever he says to you, said this wise teenage woman, do it. Be sure that you do it because he's going to talk to you. He's going to say something. But be sure you do it. Be sure you absolutely walk on the Word. Be sure you walk on what He says. Be sure you put feet to your faith. And so the Bible says they filled these six water pots up to the brim. And Jesus said, now draw some out. So they took out some kind of a scooper or whatever, and they drew it out. And then Jesus said, now now take it to the wedding planner. Take it to the wedding planner. Now, when it turned, I don't know. Did it turn when they poured the water in at first? I don't know. Did it turn when they drew some out? I don't know. Did it turn when they were on their way to the wedding planner with it? I don't know. With the 10 lepers, they said, heal us, Lord. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And it says, as they went, they were healed. As they put feet to their faith and did what he said, they were healed. You know why some people never have God really doing much in their life because they hear and they hear and they hear and they hear and they hear but they never do the word is to walk on it's to stand on it's to act on and so watch this when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine he didn't know where it came from But the servants who had drawn the water, they knew, and they were sitting there with a big smile on their face, Cheshire cats, they knew who had done it. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then he brings out the inferior, but you have kept the best until now. Notice things went from good to best when Jesus was obeyed. This wisdom that God gave Mother Mary, powerful. Here's her advice in summary. Take your problem to him. Believe that he cares about your problem. When you take it to him, he's gonna say something to you and whatever he says to you, be sure you do it. And it's in obeying his advice that his grace and his power are released. Now let me ask you a question tonight. You've got problems, everyone in here does, because you're human beings. Have you taken them to him? And having taken them to him, have you sat there long enough to listen to what he said for you to do? He'll speak out of this. He'll speak out of a message like this right now. He'll get at you with a word from a hundred different directions. There have been times I've just been driving around the road, skipping through radio stations, and come across somebody that bloop, said something and hit me right between the eyes, and I knew it was a word from God. It, listen, if you've asked God for an answer, His answer is going to find you. His advice is going to get to you. And when it does, you've got to do it. Marriage counseling? Listen, getting out of a habit? getting out of financial trouble, whatever the problem is, you must do it. Can we stand together tonight? (laughs) Now let me give you one thing. And please, um, unless you just have to run, stay where you are for just a moment because God is talking to some people. And I want to be sure we hear this. Let me give you one thing Jesus said for us to do. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are overwhelmed, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Then he said, take my yoke upon you. Coming to him is salvation. Taking the yoke upon you is lordship. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me how to live life for I am gentle you're going to discover and I am humble of heart you're going to discover and you're going to find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light now Jesus said do you want rest do you want peace Do you want true life come to me and you know there's people that have heard that all their life and never done it but when you do it faith activates the power and the grace of god so i'm gonna ask us to bow for a moment can we i want you to know i love every one of you here tonight in christ jesus and he loves you infinitely more than i could ever even think about And maybe you've never just really come to him laboring and overwhelmed and said, Lord, I need you to come into my life. And I've heard it and heard it, but now I'm ready to actually do it. I want to take you up on your word. And Lord, I want to take your yoke upon me and and I want to learn from you and I want to walk in Lordship. I want you to be the boss, I want you to take over the steering wheel. Because I, you, you said that if I did that, my soul would find rest. And there may be just one here, maybe several, who would like to do that tonight. But if you can say, Pastor Jeff, you know, life is just really barreled down on me. And I want to do what he said. In a fresh way tonight, I want to come to him, and I want to give him the problem, and then whatever he says to me, I'm going to do it. If that's you, would you raise your hand here tonight, and let me just see you, and let him see you even more than me. God bless you, many of you, many of you, many of you. I want us to do something quickly. Listen, I want you to put feet to your faith. You remember me talking about how he requires an action? I want you to come down to the front right here and I want to pray with you. Why should I have to come down? I've already explained that. Because faith requires an action. Faith is a verb. And as soon as you step, then God's grace and power are going to undertake. And I want to pray with you down here. Would you let me do that? So if you raise your hand, come now, come quickly. Come down here and I'm going to pray with you and God's going to undertake in your life. And He's going to do something new come right now if you can't come down here in front of just a few people how are you ever going to walk with him out there don't be ashamed of the lord tell your feet to walk and take a walk and come and he's going to undertake for you in jesus name you come now as we sing